I put the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable. Incoming transmission. Engage house party protocol. Mark 4, powering up. Mark 17, powering up. Mark 44, powering up. All suits are online. Welcome to house party protocol. Power up suits and welcome in to another episode of House Party Protocol. My name is Will and with me today, coming from sunny Canada. That's right. It's definitely sunny there this time of year for sure. It's the one and only Leland. What's happening, my guy? Not much, not much. You you joke about it being sunny, but we've gone through the gamut. We've uh, we've had snow followed by warmer weather, followed by snow, then the warmer. It's I don't know what's going on here anymore. This is not the Canada I remember. Not the Canada you remember. Make Canada, Canada again. Exactly. Exactly. Beavers, maple syrup, the great one. The great one, yeah. So, Leland, I recently got a tattoo, which you have seen a picture of, and you said that the one tattoo you would get is this amazing, like, the only way I could describe it is like a Hail Canada tattoo. Oh yeah, yeah that 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 wonderful. It's the uh, the beaver riding a Canada goose, uh, brandishing a couple hockey sticks with uh, with a maple leaf bikini top on. It's, yes. it's wonderful. Like I really want to see you get that. Like that sounds amazing. I, I mean, I'm a coward with stuff like that, so I don't know if I actually ever will. But like that's that's the tattoo I would get if I'm getting one. Well, here's here's my goal and the suits goal out there. When we see Leland at Adepticon. <laughs> We've got to talk him into it or get him drunk enough so he'll do it. <laughs> ooh, ooh, careful on that second one. I am I am not a lightweight at all. Hey, hey, there you go. You'll be in good company. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, don't tattoo and drink. Just I'm going to just, you know, I've been down that road. It's not good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, tattoo after you've drink. Yes, exactly, exactly. So, Leland, thank you so much for uh, being on here today. First time in 2024, I think, right? Well, I, I never left, Will. This is I've true. always been here. <laughs> it's been here, yes. Come play with me, Will. Yeah. That's that's really what I heard just now. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I uh, float down here. <laughs> See, the horror movie references are real right now. And I'm going to go on just this tiny tangent because it, what would it be a HPP podcast without one? Growing up, the Tim Curry It movie, that was it was like a made-for-TV movie scared yeah. me so much yeah i could see that for for me it was uh the when he turns into the giant spider that's mm-hmm. uh that's what always got me yeah so for me it was the shower scene when like all the shower heads start moving and everything and then he comes up he's like talking to him through the drain and then he comes up out of the drain i always felt like that i was gonna get snatched by pennywise out of the drain in my shower for like years Yep, that that stuff can have a lasting effect on you. Yes, it sure can. And then my dad let me watch Terminator and Predator and all of that fun stuff when I was like, you know, eight. Yeah, that sounds about right. I I think I saw Aliens when I was uh, maybe about five or six. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the rest, as they say, uh, is history, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Love Aliens. Uh, The other one that really got me as a young kid that I've never to this day been able to finish because of the bad memories was uh, Pet Cemetery. 
Oh man. Well, I mean, yeah. Like Pet Cemetery is so good. And it's also like so it's got Herman Munster is like the older guy in that. And there's this scene in there. What what part did you get to that you had to like stop? Uh I think I got to the part just after the the young boy was edited. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's where I got to. And okay. I, it was just like I was too young. I was like, nope, can't do this. There's another scene where someone gets gets guilted and um it's done in such a way where i'm just like i'm visualizing that scene and it's i just i can't i it's like ooh cringe you know what i mean ooh fun times yeah, yeah. Hor- horror's never really been my jam so i've never had a huge regret not going back to it but yeah i see i love horror movies with that suits i'm going to give you guys a little call to action shoot us your favorite horror flicks in the episode feedback on the discord or in a message and um and i'd love to know what kind of horror flicks you guys like because i I really enjoy some horror and uh, i'll give my recommendation for people that uh, haven't really necessarily seen this movie but it's one that i think if you are a horror fan that you will probably like and that is it follows it is very good i highly recommend it so yeah leland you got any for the suits uh, again, I, I've never been a big horror fan, which is weird because I was part of a, a group of people back in, uh, in university that they got together every Saturday to watch horror films. Uh, a lot of like, uh, auteur stuff and, uh, and like out of Europe and all this sort of stuff. I don't remember any of the damn stuff. I remember a lot of Vincent Price oh, uh, nice. stuff though. Yeah. yeah. Classic, classic. Well, uh, there you go. So let's give Leland some horror movies to watch everybody. So, uh, speaking of horror things, I think. Today, we have a couple of new characters to review Leland, and one of them has been called a monster in the comics before, and that is the one and only Kurt Wagner, Nightcrawler. Yeah, excited for this one. I am very excited for this one. I think that, uh, like we always do here, we're going to talk, take a look at the model first. I love what they've done with this model. I love that he is on the puff of smoke and you can actually see his whole body. Like I was a little bit worried when they told us Nightcrawler was coming that we wouldn't be able to see his whole body. Like he'd be kind of like half in the puff of smoke, you know, kind of like Rogue's leg or something like that. How on she's part of coming out of that explosion or whatever. Yeah. Rogue's leg, Sinister's leg, a lot of legs. Yeah. So I'm really glad that he's like on top of his puff of smoke. And then I also love the fact that they included a little Bamf. Yeah, I, I like little touches like that. It just, it really helps make models pop. Um, now, do we actually have an image of the Bamf? Because I remember them talking about that. We do, but, but you're going to have to kind of like do a Google search on the interwebs because I think they showed it from the Adepticon stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah that makes a lot of sense. It was a render, I think. Yeah. The question that I have is, does he come with a sword? I think they said he was going to have a sword option as well. I think so, too. Something, something in my brain is telling me that he will have a sword option. But let's just be honest. I kind of hope he does. Yeah, I I want to say like I'm like ninety percent uh, sure that they they mentioned something about him having a sword, um. Yeah. So that's what I'm gonna go with. Yeah, I'm gonna say yes, he has a sword. 
even though I don't know, but also if they, oh, yep, I found it, sword option. He's got oh, beautiful double-handed sword option. This was from Adepticon and uh, and the little Banff there. So he's got the sword for each hand as an option, which, to be fair, I will only be putting that in one of his hands. That's fair. Yeah. What about you, Leland? How are you gonna gonna do up Nightcrawler? Uh, to be honest, I'm undecided at the moment. I think I need to get the model in my hands to kind of feel how the contact points work out and everything like that. Uh, I'm a little less inclined to do the uh, the swords, to be uh, completely honest. But I think the Bamf might be making its way on. Yeah, definitely. I I really like it. I think it's super good, and I just like this model in general. I think that they really are growing as sculptors in their in their craft here with this model because everything is just really clear the face looks incredible like i'm not generally one to like highlight stuff like that but like the way that they they made this face look so good it's it's wonderful oh yeah no it's absolutely fantastic job i love that there's a a sense of motion to it which is really kind of cool uh i like that there's no tactical rock on it yeah there's a tactical bamf there's a tactical bamf, which is new and different. Uh, no, just overall, I I really dig the model. I I like the whole thing. I am a little concerned about the contact points onto the bamf itself. Uh, I want to see how everything kind of fits on there because I don't think we've seen a 3D um, posing of it yet. Yeah. So don't know. I, yeah, I'm not sure how much actual contact Nightcrawler has to the the puff of smoke, which I really want to see at this point. Um, that's been one of my biggest banes of things is is the really narrow, tiny contact points. So I, I hope this has a little bit more of a secure point to it. Yeah, my guess is, and this is just wild speculation at this point, that his he's going to have some pretty hefty sticks coming out the bottom of his feet. That's what I'm hoping. Yeah, we'll see. Super glue is strong. <laughs> like, I always yes. use plastic glue. Like, I plastic glued, like, down in the hole, plastic glue on the little stick, stick it in, then I reinforce with super glue. Oh, geez, you go all out. Oh, yeah, I go ham, you, dude. You, you know with plastic glue, less is usually more, right? Oh, I'm aware. <laughs> okay, just check it. But look, if it doesn't, like, start squirting out, like, a little molten lava plastic thing, then I didn't do something right. <laughs> okay. all right you you do you boo that's right hey so far things have held together pretty well oh that's good i'm happy to hear that yeah so leland let's now take a look at kurt's card here and i love the card art on this but i always like kind of laugh at the way that superheroes are drawn typically in that how is his leg like his right leg in that position when his torso, like, like I get he's a special athletic, a- acrobatic, mutant person, but they also draw Spider-Man very similarly, and, like, anyone that they they have, like, acrobatic, like, abilities for of these, like, contortionist positions here, like, you see what I'm saying? I, I try not to think about it. There's some absolutely bonkers positioning on there, and it only gets worse if they happen to be a, a female superhero as well, right? Like oh, it's, yeah. It's insane. It's insane, but I do love it. I think it looks awesome. It does. It, yeah, yeah it, it's great. It's dynamic. Uh, and I mean, it just it fits everything that you kind of want a superhero to be. Like they have that that nice sort of like sense of action and movement going on with it, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And if I ever paint my Nightcrawler, I will be trying to make his eyes glow as much as possible. Fluorescent paints for the win, right? There you go. Yeah, so top stat line 
we have Kurt Wagner. So if we ever get another version of Nightcrawler, then you can have only one version of Kurt Wagner in your squad on the tabletop at a time. So your opponent could have the same model across from you, but you are only going to be able to have one in your squad on the table. So perfectly normal stuff there, and uh, we're used to that at this point, I think. We have a four physical defense, a three energy defense, and a three mystic defense. Stamina value of six, threat value four, size two, and he moves medium. And then the only change I see on his card, on the whole thing, is on his injured side, he goes down to five stamina. So he's six five on the health with four three three on the defenses, physical energy, mystic, respectively. Now, Leland, how do you feel about that? Uh, I think it's perfectly in line with with what we should expect from a Nightcrawler. I mean, from what we've seen, he doesn't really... He de depends more on not being punched more than he does on like just taking all the punches. So I'm perfectly fine with the 6-5 uh, stamina line on that one. Um, the four physical defense, when you start factoring in, like the, the defense is also supposed to be meant like their agility, their ability mm -hmm. to avoid being punched and all that sort of stuff. Makes perfect sense to me. Uh, I'm actually quite fine with, with this stat line. Yeah, me as well. And it's one of those things where, like you said, it factors in agility, which is right. why like, you can see that four physical and you say, wait a minute, Nightcrawler's not nearly as durable as someone like Black Panther, but he is agile, and that agility is represented in this four physical defense, which I really like. So, yeah. Leland, how about you go over his attacks? For sure. So starting everything off, we have a physical attack called Teleporting Strike. It's a range three, five dice attack for zero power. It is your typical builder attack. So that's going to be power equal to damage dealt. Uh, and it does have a, uh, a trigger, haha, -ha, after damage is dealt. If this character is not within two of the target character, the target character gains the stun special condition. Uh, there is no dice requirement on this one. It is just simply, you know, you get to the, the step uh, after damage is being dealt and stun is going on to them as long as you're outside of that range too. And uh, yeah, that's that's lovely. Just just an auto stun at range three is uh, not to be discounted there. Uh, yeah, and real quick, I do have to say, you, you said ha-ha, but like, ha there you go. See, that's, that's much more, it's like ha-ha, <laughs> you know what I mean? Because he's a swashbuckler. I put the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable. <laughs> yeah, you did. But no, man, you nailed it on the fact that, like, so cool. If he's within two of someone, they're not going to be stunned. But the fact that this automatically stuns people outside of that range. So it is a fairly narrow range band between two and three. But it's very achievable for this character. Yeah, and stun is one of those conditions that just can ruin your day, all right? Like, a, if you have a character that's kind of needs to generate multiples of power, uh, having stun on them is just as good as a stagger almost, because you almost usually want to get rid of that as soon as possible. Yeah, and it's one of those where it's like on certain characters, so I played uh, Ebony Maw, Space Maw recently in a tournament, and he got stunned from the like the Mare Fisk or something pretty early on, and I was like, oh, this is the worst. <laughs> it's just so bad on him. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or, or you stun Bill, for instance. Stun Bill. I mean, everybody's favorite Cosmic Ghost Rider, stun him. Yep. I mean, yeah, no. It, it's one of those things where we're going to go, obviously, go through the rest of this card. But real quick, Leland, I want to ask you, is it a viable strategy to just say, screw it, I'm going to dive Nightcrawler at my opponent's most vulnerable to stun model and just get that on there as early in the game as possible? I think you need a little bit more of a plan than just that, but I think there is, I think as an opening gambit, that can actually work pretty decently, but you're going to need some way to either extricate Nightcrawler or pull some pressure off him. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. I think like having some kind of escort to safety fallback type combo would be a viable thing for if you try that strategy. But I do think that there is some validity to saying, as early as feels feasible in a match, being like, all right, cool, what does my opponent got? Okay, cool, they've got a CGR, dive, for free, stun condition. Like, there is no cost other than just rolling the dice, stunning people. And at range three, I mean, it is viable to assume that if you can position them correctly using external uh, factors, you might actually be able to get two teleporting strikes off. You really might. So we'll talk about how that can happen here in a second. What's the next attack, Leland? So next up, we got another physical attack, Brimstone Blitz. It is a range two attack, five dice for one power. Uh, and with this particular one, you add dice to the attack equal to the number of times this character has been placed this turn. Uh, and then finally, he also has a crit hit uh, flurry of blows trigger. After this attack is resolved, this character may make an additional attack action. This attack must target the original target character. So this attack, at first glance, if you're not paying attention, it seems very lackluster. Pay one power for five dice, you know, whoop de doo Basil. Uh, however, as we get further on in this kit, you're going to see how this can really be tuned up. But on top of that, the Flurry of Blows uh, also lacks a usual caveat that we see on a lot of other Rapid Fires of Flurry of Blows, where the follow-up attack loses this uh, this rule, right? Yes. With Brimstone Blitz, you can just keep going with it if you have the power to do so. Right. And you get the triggers, obviously. But let's let's also look here at like how the trigger is it's a fairly achievable trigger in that crit and hit so you're only rolling five dice at first but you know the the math has been done on the uh the crit hit trigger and if you're just going off the base five dice apparently it's not a very likely thing to happen i think we're we're looking at like three to five percent chance or something like that uh, if, I see. if you're just going off the base five dice, right, right. Of course. So with that, you got to also think that the wording on this card, you are exactly right in that if you have enough power, you can stack brimstone blitz over and over again, or you can also do a teleporting strike with this attack from flurry of blows. It does not say that it has to be a brimstone blitz attack. It is just after this attack is resolved. This character may make an additional attack action that has to target the original character. Yep. No, it, it's got a lot of utility there, and it has the ability to really kind of pop off and cause a lot of problems. Um, but I think it has just as much opportunity to just kind of fizzle out. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see how this one actually plays in practice. Well, I can tell you right now from practicing against a lot of Quicksilver, uh, Quicksilver has an unlimited amount of success triggers also. And uh, 
Yeah, three times minimum when I play against Quicksilver. Oh, jeez. Yeah, and that and that's three times minimum per attack, not just like one time. Like as in every time I get attacked by Quicksilver, it's like, oh, cool. Well, I'm hitting you again. Oh, cool. I'm hitting you again. Oh, by the way, I'm hitting you again. At least Quicksilver's doesn't uh, ramp up at the dice every single time, right? Exactly, exactly. So this is one of those things that while crit hit to me feels like an easy trigger and the math maybe says it isn't, this is something that I think you definitely have to be aware of. And like you said, the ramp on this as we go through his superpowers is is going to be real, I think. So. Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely something you're going to have to be mindful of and pay attention to. I also think that this is going to be the uh, the attack that kind of separates the really good Nightcrawler players from the 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 not as good Nightcrawler players because I think this is one of those abilities that's going to a lot of people are going to pick up some blinders on it and they're just going to see what it can potentially do. It's going to leave Nightcrawler out in the open, very exposed. Uh, and as we've already established, I mean, a four-three-three with eleven stamina is not the most defensive profile. Right. Uh, so it's one of those things where you're going to have to choose your you're going to have to choose your target and your time with Brimstone Blitz. Otherwise, you're you're really going to leave four threat just out in the open. Yeah, that, and then also it is a physical attack, which if you factor in the amount of defensive tech against physical attacks in the game then you know that kind of adds another layer to it right like sure if you're attacking mordo with his two physical defense you're probably feeling pretty confident but if you're attacking luke cage even if you do hit your flurry of blows it's probably a little less confident there yeah and and i really agree with you leland is like i think this is technically a spender and one of the most interesting spenders that we've had in a while that has a little little bit of brain to it. You know what I mean? Like my smooth brain isn't going to be able to figure this out, but I think that someone with a lot of ridges in their brain is really going to be able to have some fun with this. Oh, yeah. There's definitely a lot of potential there. Yeah. So let's talk about superpower. First up, because of course it's the first superpower, because if it wasn't, I would riot. It is an active superpower, so that means it can only be used on his turn. Banff! With a power cost of X. And you know what BAMF stands for, right? Hey, oh, is this an acronym? I mean, yeah. It, every time he pops out, every time he BAMFs, he's, he's like, he's, he's a badass MF'er. Oh, that, that's honestly the first I've heard that one. Yeah. You've never heard that? <laughs> I've never heard that before, no. Man, okay. Have you heard of HMFIC? Nah, you're just throwing letters at me. I am, but that's another one. No, I'm not. I'm, I I don't do the acronym thing all that much. Oh, well, well, that's that's uh, you know you're the HMFIC of Canada, and that is the head MFR in charge. Oh, I I wish I had that sort of uh, pull and authority. <laughs> no, you totally do, Trudeau. He just comes to see you. Oh, jeez. Right. <laughs> well, anyway, oh, I think we're getting into we're getting into a can of worms here. There's a can of worms. So, anyways, Nightcrawler when he pops out, he's like, boom. I'm a BAMFer. So, you know, that's what BAMP stands for. It's power cost of X. This character may spend one to three power to use this superpower. Place this character within X of itself, where X is the amount of power spent. This superpower can be used only once per turn. I love it. We've actually seen 
this superpower before on magic when she does her limbo step. But I mean, this is great. It is a great placement. He's always going to be able to go at least one so long as he doesn't have poison or something like that in the special condition uh, during the power phase because he's going to get his one power. So being able to place within range one immediately is valuable. And then if you're able to build up the power with teleporting strike, the additional range on that placement is so good. And and not to mention that because this is a place, it does fuel the uh, the dice for Brimstone Blitz as well. Exactly, exactly. So he's able to place once, maybe get within range two, and now he's rolling six dice on Brimstone Blitz, and the math goes crazy. So yep. I love it. Then we have another superpower. It is a reactive superpower. So there's a trigger here, and we'll tell you what happens. It's Puff of Smoke. With a power cost of zero. Now, it's really important that this has a power cost of zero and is a reactive superpower because if he's rooted or within the Loki bubble, those costs will go up. And, you know, this is one of those where it's going to be on his turn that this one activates, which we'll talk about in a second. But it is one of those that's like, I'm glad it's here because things like no more mutants and shh can shut it off, which I really like. When this character makes an attack, after damage is dealt, this character may use this superpower. Place this character within range two of the target character. So Leland, correct me if I'm wrong here. You get two attack actions, potentially, in a turn. So that is two opportunities for Puff of Smoke, right? So far, yep. Yeah. So I love that. I think that's awesome. Being able to say, okay, cool. I'm going to place myself where I can, at range three, with his teleporting strike, I've, you're now stunned, and I'm placing within range two of you to then hit somebody else way over there, you know, another range three away, and then you can, after that, move, well, not move, but bamf yourself to safety, potentially. Well, the other thing is Puff of Smoke combined with Brimstone Blitz is where a lot of the chatter with Nightcrawler has been coming from as well. Because every time you do an attack action, uh, once you get to the after damages dealt step, you're going to be placing Nightcrawler within range two of the target character. So you're building up that uh, that dice pool because that is an additional place every single time, right? It is. So if you're doing the math, we have made it to... If you, if you don't puff of smoke, and let's say you bamf puff of smoke after an attack. This is a very wild web we're about to weave here. But let's say you bamf, and then you teleporting strike, and you puff of smoke. Let's say you do those three things. You have now built up two instances of teleporting on your turn, so you can potentially brimstone blitz at the sweet spot of seven dice into a flurry of blows that gives you another opportunity to puff of smoke and then flurry of blows potentially again this is all very like potentially flurry of blows thing and then puff of smoke again and every time you puff of smoke after the brimstone blitz and you're doing your flurry of blows provided you have the power you're adding dice there and you're you're starting at the sweet spot if you're able to kind of kind of get it right you know what i mean yeah, now I, I do want to add of this particular one. I do think AMG might have missed the mark a little bit with making this a zero cost uh, ability. Uh, I think 
because it has the ability to just become so absolutely bonkers in compare uh, in conjunction with brimstone blitz only being one power you could theoretically without like the use of like say cabal leadership or something like this you could brimstone blitz 10 times which is bonkers if you get that off uh, I think I would have preferred to see Puff of Smoke be one of those uh, zero plus X costs where the X value is equal to the amount of times you've already used it this particular turn. Interesting. Just just to kind of rein in the ridiculousness of it a bit. Um, but again, this is just coming from a position of he's not on the table yet. We we haven't seen enough reps with him at this point. We don't quite know how how strong or how viable it's going to be to like run in and just one shot or like take out characters with one uh with one activation uh with this particular ability i just uh i don't know i'm I'm always leery of that sort of amplification of attacks yeah and i think that's really fair and again i say this all the time and i think that this is another situation here is it's just dice it's going to come down to the dice and whether or not you hit your triggers and and what you are able to manipulate with those dice via Zemo rerolls or any other access to rerolls that you have as to how successful that strategy is going to be. Because at the end of the day, if your plan is to use Nightcrawler in a bit of a gambit to say, I'm going to do as much as I can with this Brimstone Blitz activation on Nightcrawler just to see if I can, you know, pound down whoever I need to pound down, right? You know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. that's that's going to be a risk. Like, you're going to have to accept the fact that, you know, more dice is always better, but it doesn't guarantee success. Because as we go through his card, spoiler alert, he has no dice manipulation built into his card. He doesn't have any access to rerolls or anything like that that he can juice himself up with. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I, I right. He. He is going to need some assistance to kind of get the ball rolling on it. If he does, goes in just on its own, the the odds aren't the greatest for you. But with any sort of support, you can really get him rolling. Exactly, exactly. But I do want to highlight the fact that I think it's interesting what you said about Puff of Smoke being the cost, because I would actually take it the other direction. For me, and we're probably, this is more of the summary before we get through the whole thing, but I'm going to go for it anyways, since the uh, can of worms has been opened. I think Brimstone Blitz needs to cost more. Because Fair. I think you make it cost two, then you're really limiting the amount of times that you can functionally do it and have access to his defensive tech that we're going to talk about and all of that stuff. Because I look at this akin to an area attack, in a sense. It's not exactly an area attack, obviously, but I look at it in kind of a similar view in that it's the potential to hit a bunch of other characters for some pretty hefty dice numbers, potentially. And we've seen AMG over time cost area attacks a little bit higher above that bar. And I get remember Brimstone Blitz does have to target the original character. Right, exactly. So yeah, so you can't daisy chain through through his whole team at least, right? Exactly. But that's it's still just one of those things where it's like because of that ramp ability, it just seems like that they haven't figured out exactly how to adjust the cost there. But and th- and that's fair. I I think I think that's also a fair assessment of it. That it just 
any because I think right now the, one of the problems is uh, Cabal has been mentioned a few times with with Nightcrawler and Brimstone Blitz becoming self-sustaining if you get that one damage off right mm-hmm. um, and I think that's kind of where some like that that is like the worst case scenario or best case depending on your on your side of the uh, the argument there right um, but anytime you have a potentially infinite combo it's always a little worrisome exactly and for any of my friends out there that have played the Kingdom Death Monster, and you played the Butcher, there's literally a card that they changed in <laughs> version 1.0. They had, uh, uh, you could get into this thing where it was like, the, the, they called it the infinite kick loop of the Butcher. He just kicks you to death. He just kicks you to death, and you, and you literally cannot get out of it. Like, the game will not stop until you are dead. It, is, it was a yep. thing that was like a messed up mechanic, and then what they did when they brought it to like 1.5 is they made it a part of the game. They were just like, cool, yeah, now this is, this is actually yeah. like supposed to happen. Well, I mean, Kingdom Death is the literal game that will kick you when you're down, right? It is. Oh, so. I love it so much. I love it so much. Such a good game. I love it. So, yeah, that, that makes me like Brimstone Blitz. Let's just call it Infinite Blitz. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so... That is his main superpowers there that are offensive, right? So Puff of Smoke, the placement. I, I just, I'm really enjoying this kit, which is why we're taking a lot of time to talk about it. So the next superpower we have here is another reactive superpower. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try, Leland. I'm going to try. Better you than me. Unglaublicht. Unglaublicht. Acrobatics. That's probably right. Any any sure. any German friends that that speak German? I think this is German. Uh, please let me know because I'm curious. But Unglaublicht acrobatics. Well, say that. I'm just going to say acrobatics uh, for two power. It is when this character is targeted by a physical or energy attack, or makes a dodge roll. It may use this superpower. Add two dice to this character's defense or dodge roll. I love it, Leland. I think it's great. I, I like that he has other things to spend his power on besides just going bonkers with Brimstone Blitz. Uh, yeah, and it, it just makes him a little bit more defensive, which is great. It is. And again, that four physical defense becoming six, the three energy defense becoming five. It's uh, really strong. We've seen this superpower many times before. And when you factor in that he's affiliated, most likely, I think we know that he's affiliated with uncanny x-men then you're saying okay cool well maybe cables in there and able to throw some more power yeah yeah oh geez yeah Get, getting up to an eight seven uh defensive profile yeah like you ain't really taking nightcrawler down at all here which i really love i think that's fun <laughs> so we have two more superpowers they are both innate the first one invisible in shadow while this character is within range one of a terrain feature of size two or more Characters must be within range three of this character to target it with attacks. So it's stealth if you're near terrain. It, it's stealth that gets around marked for death. Yeah, yeah. I really, really like this design, Leland. I think it's great. I think it's very thematic of of what Nightcrawler does, uh, which I really like. Uh and yeah, it gives him a little bit more staying power on the table. Like he's just not going to be shot off the table uh, from a range four, range five attack early on because of this. Exactly. And he's he's threat four. He should have stuff like this. But 
reason why I like this so much is it speaks to the, again, the growth of the design of this game, right? Instead of just saying, let's slap stealth on him because he's stealthy in the comics, being like, well, yeah, he's stealthy, but why is he stealthy? He's stealthy because he can stick to the shadows that are created by buildings and different stuff like that, right? And I think that this just, I understand there's been some discourse around this superpower out there, but I think it's really great. It's it's I, I, really great. I, I do agree with you. I, I like it quite a bit, but I do think this this particular superpower is also a prime example of why MCP might benefit from a keyword type system that we're seeing very, become very common in a lot of other games these days. Um, because the fact that this is a superpower that just outright ignores some abilities to get around it, uh, to like to ignore stealth, for instance, I, I would I would have been very happy if this said, you know, when within range one of a size two terrain feature, it gains stealth. I, I think I would have preferred it that way. Uh, but I realized by the way it's worded, it was a very conscious decision that they wanted it to not be stealth and they wanted it to be able to get around any abilities that might ignore stealth. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm I'm right there with you. And then the last innate superpower that we have here is wall crawler because of course he's a wall crawler. Like, obviously so oh yeah just makes perfect sense it just makes perfect sense so leland overall character thoughts here on nightcrawler we spent a lot of time talking about him but i think this is one of the cards that has a lot of nuance to it that it maybe seems kind of straightforward at first but that i think that's going to have a lot of fun with this character i think it's going to be very easy to play nightcrawler poorly (laughs) <laughs> is I think is what's going to happen. Um, and I because he's a very popular X-Men character, we're going to see him on the table quite a bit, regardless of quality of character. And it's going to be very interesting to see what the high skill ceiling players do with him to really kind of make him a menace on the table. Like, I know a lot of his discussion right now has been surrounding the whole idea of like, well, Brimstone Blitz and take out Hulk in one activation type thing. And uh, I know that the math has been done on that um, and how to do it most effectively. And I think that's almost the trap of Nightcrawler because I think the second you do the Brimstone Blitz and you get him out of position, I think that's the last activation Nightcrawler gets in that game. You really brought up an interesting point in that he isn't going to be set it, forget it. And... To your point, yes, if you're going all out, like I think I could see what you're describing as like he's on his injured side. He maybe survived a little bit more than he should have to start a round and he's sitting there on like three, two health, something like that on his injured side. Cool. Shoot your shot. But if you're sitting there with a pretty healthy squad going for those kind of things, I don't think is necessarily going to benefit Nightcrawler. And I think that what's interesting about this character design, when I see this, Banff doesn't say anything about objectives. So you're able to play a bit of damage dealer role while also playing a objective stealer role, which I find to be very interesting. Yeah, I, I think he's got some interesting play going in, maybe bullying like a two or a three threat character that's holding an objective, knocking them out, taking the taking the asset, and then bamfing away, right? Exactly. I think that 
I think there's a lot of interesting play there. And I think from the objective standpoint, uh, I think that's where Nightcrawler's biggest strength actually lies because he's incredibly mobile, right? Yes. He can get across the table without actually having to do a single move action. <laughs> exactly. And if you think about like stacking three range threes on top of each other and then spread them out a little bit and put a base in between each one, and then put a range two coming off of that base. Then and so like you're stacking. That's the whole board. If you really yeah. think about with his puff of smoke ability, his attack being range three plus his ability to bamf at range three. That's he's moving, dude. He's moving. Oh yeah, yeah. Each each uh, each one of his teleporting strike attacks is six inches plus the uh, the the size of the base plus an additional three inches from the range two place fall, uh, from puff of smoke right like that's be, before you even get anywhere you you're already factoring in roughly 10 inches of movement yeah it's crazy yeah so if you see nightcrawler on the side of the table it'd be like nobody's safe yes <laughs> and i mean we thought we thought cgr was mobile <laughs> yeah exactly exactly so th the other question that i have for you leland when looking at uncanny x-men specifically because that's the place that we for sure know that he's affiliated you've got a bunch of four threats bishop colossus cyclops emma frost logan the wolverine now nightcrawler psylocke rogue regular wolverine a ton of four threats all vying for these precious roster spots do you feel like that nightcrawler kind of like hot take a little bit feels like a bit of an auto include if you're building an uncanny x-men roster um you know what i don't think it's as simple as saying he's an auto include because i think one of the biggest strengths of the x-men these days is that they have viable builds uh, that don't necessarily look the same um, a storm team looks very different from a cyclops team in a lot of regards and even within those archetypes you can do very different stuff with it i think based on current sort of like net listing ideas and mechanics he might have an auto include place um in some x-men teams but i think we're getting to this interesting point where people can really explore what to do with uh with the uncanny x-men and uh, i think he can fit into some teams and i think other teams he might not fit quite as well yeah and that's kind of where i'm at with it too is that i think that each one each leadership for the X-Men, even Hellfire Club under uh, Emma, I think is interesting for him as well. But just specifically Uncanny X-Men will unlock a different thing for him. So being able to have that re-roll on defense if they're not within two could be huge for him, right? The ability for other characters to place him available to place again, you know, on that X-Men gold leadership if you're really going ham for that brimstone blitz attack, I think is interesting, right? So mm -hmm. I think that with Storm, it's it's a, a very fun team composition you could potentially have there. But also with Cyclops, now being able to say, all right, fam, everybody's clumped up here and Nightcrawler's going to just try to go ham right before he blows up and pass out power to everybody, you know? And and try to try to really hit that X Men Blue leadership a lot, and I think there's something interesting there. So, and you're right in terms of I think MCP as a whole, X Men definitely 
so much versatility in how you can pilot them that I don't think that there's any one best way right now. And then when you factor in Nightcrawler and then everybody's favorite Iceman, Iceman, um, <laughs> it's uh, it's going to be a really interesting setup here, I think. Yeah, X-Men are definitely uh, spoiled for choice yeah. at this point. Do you think that there's any one four-threat character that gets left out in the cold currently? Like, specifically for X-Men? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, even with his updates, I, I don't see Wolverine taken nearly as often as I would have thought. Um, I saw I saw you had a rough time with him recently. <laughs> oh, jeez. I've had a couple rough goes with him lately, uh, but he's he's the very epitome of dice dependent, right? Like if the dice don't work for him, he's not going to do what you need him to do. Yeah, is basically what it rolls down to. Uh, so I I would say he he maybe gets left behind a little bit because um, honestly I at least locally I've been seeing more Colossus kicking around. Uh, people yeah. have really been enjoying the Colossus changes to that. Uh, but uh, yeah, like it's. Yeah, if, if gun to my head, I would say Wolverine is probably, in in my opinion or my view, the the least desirable of the of the four threat X Men. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. I think um, it's interesting with what the mutant characters have done recently. In that, I think Wolverine his changes don't necessarily benefit him as much within Uncanny X Men, but as a defender, he oh yeah really shines. You know yeah, what I mean? No argument here on that one. And then, so when I look at like Uncanny X-Men and stuff, like I look at a character like Psylocke, right? Psylocke is a character that I really like on the tabletop, but she feels so much better in X-Force to me that I understand if you don't want to take her in your Uncanny X-Men and you'd rather take Nightcrawler. But the one that I could see like inadvertently getting left out in the cold, and it's one that it disappoints me to say this, and that's Rogue, because... I love Rogue as a character, and I think that she, like, if if, if you were going to do a video, or I was going to do a video, which we should do a video, Leland, actually, together, of, like, tier listing some kind of thing, and you, and it's, instead of saying what is the best, what is the worst, saying what is the most perfectly balanced thing versus the least balanced thing, I would put Rogue in, like, the most perfectly balanced four threat character in the game. It, she is an infuriating four threat to deal with, but I can't disagree with you on that one. She, she's an interesting character because she has so much going for her. Uh, but at the same time, like she rarely has the power to do all of it. Um, Although I don't necessarily think that she gets left behind more in my opinion. I, I think she still brings a lot to the table. Um, I agree, but that could also, that could also just be like local meta. Cause I got a local X-Men player who, who throws rogue down at us quite regularly. And you know, it's, it's frustrating to, to deal with her as a result. Yeah. She's wonderful, but I could see with Bishop and now Nightcrawler and, and some of these other things that we're going to talk about that she could be the one that it's just like left out. And it just makes me sad. Cause I think she's great. I honestly, I don't know if I take Bishop over her to That's be fair. honest. That's fair. I also, but, you know, it's Bishop, so. <laughs> but Bishop's awesome. Bishop's I mean, awesome. again, we'll see how it all kind of shakes out and how the how the meta around playing X-Men kind of, kind of uh, evolves over the next couple months. Yeah. So, real quick, though, Nightcrawler, out of affiliation. Where do you see him going? 
Uh, I've seen a lot of people talk about him in Midnight Suns, getting that extra bump. Uh, the bump place is really kind of nice. Uh, I also see him being a very effective character, uh, like a chase character. So, I mean, bringing him into a team and an affiliation that might struggle uh, with that particular aspect of the game, especially into, say, Web Warriors, uh, I think Nightcrawler can bring some nice uh, uh, utility to the whole thing because he'll be able to chase characters down, get those objectives back, hopefully, and maybe just be a general pain in the ass. Yeah, Web Warriors sounds super fun. I, I think that's one where it makes sense to me to throw him in. Um, I could see him in a lot of different places. And it's one of those things where I think that, like you said, obviously Midnight Suns seems really good being able to just stack on that Brimstone Blitz. However, I will say, if you do that, you're spending a power to do your placement there, then to get the spend the power for Brimstone Blitz. So like, you've got to really factor in your power economy. Oh yeah. And stuff like that. So I think that's an interesting thing. But I also feel like that Midnight Suns doesn't necessarily need that, but as an objective runner in them, I think he could do really well and uh, all that fun stuff. But it's interesting when I look at this, like I think something like Defenders under the Marvel Knights sounds really nice for his kit. And obvious, there's like obvious choices. Guardians of the Galaxy feels like an obvious choice, right? Because everybody loves to do a winging it token. But the one that I think could be low-key interesting is like a Strucker Hydra where if he does start getting conditions on him, he can pass those conditions at crazy ranges. And then it's like, okay, cool. Well, maybe I'm stunning you and I'm making you bleed or I'm stunning you and I'm giving you shock because you shocked me earlier, stuff like that. I think the only downside with him in a Strucker Hydra is that for him to get conditions on him, more often than not, requires him to have been punched. And I don't necessarily think Nightcrawler wants to be punched all that much. <laughs> I don't think he does, but I'm just saying. You know what I mean? And then It's interesting. Yeah. I also will, will go ahead and give the caveat here of the Mighty Steve Avengers, because being able to, to guarantee your trigger, it's nothing bad about that. Yep. Uh, I was also thinking um, OG Wakanda. Yeah, oh, with, I mean, rerolls, uh, with well, it not not even just for the leadership, right? But because uh, Shuri uh, gives that nice reroll bubble as well. Absolutely, that, that he's not, that he's not spending his power uh, to reroll for, right? Oh yeah. So yeah, so Shuri fueling any sort of rerolls for him is is kind of a big one. It is. I really like that. That sounds really good. So Leland, the last thing we're going to talk about with Nightcrawler is he has a tactics card that we know about and. Two things. The card art is incredible, first of all. So, Leland, would you mind reading this one out? So we have Mass Transit. This is an unaffiliated card. It's got the new formatting, so it has active action on it. Uh, Nightcrawler may spend three power to play this card. Choose up to three other allied characters within range two of Nightcrawler. Place Nightcrawler within range three of himself. Then place each chosen character within range one of Nightcrawler. After this effect is resolved, Nightcrawler gains the Stager special condition. Wow. There's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack with this one. Uh, the first big thing being is there is some uncertainty as to whether or not the active action requires it to be Nightcrawler's action. Yeah. And I personally think it does. It's to me, that's what makes sense. But this is where we've 
got to understand what this new text means. And unfortunately, I think this is the first time we've seen this. Uh, no, there's a couple cards in the Earth's Mightiest Core set that have this formatting as well. Ah, okay. And how are those cards ruled? Uh, the problem is they're all attacks. So, oh. yeah, as, as, as far as I can remember anyway. Um, so there, there's a lot less ambiguity around that. I see. Uh, but m the way I kind of look at it is that an action is, is a resource that has to be spent. Yeah, well, absolutely. And based, based on everything we've seen in the game, that unless the game specifically tells you otherwise, the resource being spent is being spent by the active character. Right, but here's the thing. The way this is worded, and this is where the confusion comes in, it doesn't specify that Nightcrawler is the active character. It just says it is an active tactics card. Yeah, but if he's not the active character, can he spend the action? Right. Right? Because all, all of a sudden we're getting into a weird bit of bookkeeping here. Well, all of a sudden you now, like, in, unless it's the active character who spends the action to do this thing, um, we now have to keep track of, well, Nightcrawler spent this action, which means if he hasn't activated yet, not only is he getting staggered, but he's also lost one of his actions. So his activation is basically just wake up, shake the stagger, and churn. Yeah, so for me, right. I don't read it as that deep, but you're right in that it could be interpreted that way. I read it as what I think it's Nightcrawler. I, I will go ahead and actually say this. I think this is meant to be it is Nightcrawler's activation and his action that gets used on his activation. However, I could see an interpretation where let's say he's standing there next to the characters on the card, right? He's got Bishop, Rogue, and maybe Emma standing there with him. And he wants to take all three of them. And me as the Nightcrawler player, I say, okay, it's Rogue's activation. And we're going to activate now Mass Transit. Nightcrawler's going to spend his three power. We're going to move up. Now Rogue pops out, charges, and then she's done. Because she used one action to tell Nightcrawler to, to transport everybody. Which I could see being okay, maybe? But I don't like it. I would prefer it to be Nightcrawler's activation. But the interesting thing about how this works, like let's say that this... We get the ruling from AMG. We're going to get it March 1st when this character comes out. So let's get the ruling from AMG. And it's going to say Nightcrawler, it's his activation. So he spends his action. He gains the stagger condition. Well, the way stagger is worded is you take that off. It has to be your first action. Well, you've already spent an action, so you still have access to do another action on your turn if you're Nightcrawler, which I really like. And it's your next turn when that stagger condition goes away. Yeah. And I mean that, that, that in and of itself is perfectly fine. He's, he's giving up a future action to get his entire team across the table um, to an extent, right? Oh, it's a, it's a pretty but, far distance. Yeah. It's, it's the problem is it's the ambiguity of this. Yeah. We, we need a clear, a clear ruling on it because right now there's a lot of discussion around it. And unfortunately there are feasible arguments on either side of the table. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned that he could be in Wakanda, which I've got to uh, go ahead and, and say something here, because if you want to talk about making this card be all gas, no breaks. So if you put him in Wakanda and you play Spirit of Wakanda, <laughs> he can have three power right away and he can teleport his friends up to the midline, basically right away. 
dude. Yep. Dude. Nightcrawler might be in my Wakanda roster. <laughs> no, I I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, actually, Mass Trans is one reason I'm considering trying to mount in Weapon X as well. Yeah, and uh, all the confusion aside on this card, let's refocus and think about what resources it costs. It's only three power to get up to three characters what functionally could be about a range five place if you think about all the distances involved here, right? So... It's range two of Nightcrawler for the three of them. So if they're within two of him, he then can place them within range one of himself after he places range three. So measuring all of that out, that becomes wherever those characters were, they are basically now, if they were behind Nightcrawler and moving forward across the board, they have moved basically range five. Uh, Is it? Is it range five? It's, it's close. Yeah, yeah, range five. Yeah, it's 10 inches, uh, not including base sizes. Exactly. And so that is bananas. Oh, it's it's insane, especially if you get a character like Colossus up the table who's now taunting anything that's coming their way, right? Anything. I mean, and that's the thing. Okay, cool. You moved up to that midline objective and you ran away. That's fine with me because here comes my whole team and now you got to deal with them. And they haven't yep. activated yet. Yeah, it's it's a frightening card. I, I actually have more concerns over mass transit than I do over his brimstone blitz shenanigans. Uh, because I think this this is a card that really makes the rest of the team uh pop off. Yeah, and and let's you know, I don't wanna go into too hyperbole here, but imagine that you're teleporting a Hulk now to the midline, and so now if you, again, think about the ranges and everything, how things go in this game, now Hulk's able to attack your deployment line. Oh. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sorry. There, there's, there's a meme list that I've played around with with, uh, with S.H.I.E.L.D. where it was um, Fury, Jr., Hulk, She-Hulk, and then insert whoever else is needed. And now I'm just thinking about it's like, okay, well, if I play 20, Nightcrawler's the, the fourth one, and I just spend a turn. I get advanced R&D in there be cagey round one round two just teleport everything right up the board right into the center (laughs) yeah yeah i mean and that's the thing like that trying to get this off turn one i think is going to be difficult in a lot of affiliations however it's not going to be out of the realm of possibilities and in certain affiliations you're going to have to account for it yeah definitely so yeah it's a great card it is a great card and I think it's really cool that it's Nightcrawler specific. It has to be Nightcrawler's activation, in my humble opinion. But yeah, I'm excited to see I'm, how this goes. I'm really surprised it's unaffiliated. I know. To be honest. Like that, that's actually the part that really kind of caught me off guard with this one. This feels like such an X-Men card. The fact that it's unaffiliated is just kind of like, I, I don't know. Maybe that's AMG's way of trying to say it's like, hey, play him outside of X-Men as well, right? Like... I guess, I guess, but, and, and here we've asked this question before, when you see Nightcrawler, is mass transit automatically, at least in your 10, if not in your squad? It It's in the 10, it's probably a very strong sixth card. Yeah, I agree, I agree. So, uh, yeah, but before we move on, Leland... Uh, real quick, I want to say thank you all, Suits, for listening. We got a bit of a longer episode here today because we're covering two characters and Nightcrawler was a lot. Um, but if you could, 
make sure to like and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. It helps to get the HPP name out there, and we really appreciate that. Also, make sure to check out our giveaway. We are giving away the uh, Warrior Falls Wakanda box. I'm not exactly sure what the name of it is, but it's the, it's the Warrior Falls one. We're going to be doing a giveaway for that. That's uh, running. Check the Facebook page for all the information there. It'll be uh, just a couple more weeks. It's not going to be the longest giveaway that we're running, but I'm excited to do that for the suits out there. And um, if you're interested in supporting the show, check out patreon.com slash housepartyprotocol for as little as a dollar a month or 12 bucks a year. You can support the show and help us continue to do those giveaways and and grow and I'm trying to get the ball rolling on on moving forward with a lot of other things that I want to do. It's just, you know, two steps forward, one step back pretty much every time I go. So, uh, you know, that's just life, right, Leland? Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. But uh, I, I want to say thank you, Suits, for all your time and your kind words. And, uh, you know, the Discord community is wonderful. I love everyone over there, and it's, it warms my heart all the time. We recently had a Wild Sooner appear so that was super fun, too. Uh, he's a good dude, and it's it's nice to see him as part of that community. We're currently running an HPP league, so you know, stay tuned for updates on that. I'll be streaming my games on that. My first one is, of course, against Merzane. I'm going to have to bring him out of the dungeon and uh, give him give him what for. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're all rooting for you. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know. We'll see if this Wakanda works the way I want it to. But... Uh, well, remember, if things go poorly, just flip the table and say, oh, whoops. Oh, sorry. Sorry about that. My bad. I don't know what happened. R wrong button. Wrong button. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Leland, uh, let's now move on and talk about everybody's favorite cold person. And that is Bobby Drake, Iceman. So first, as always, let's take a look at this miniature. And um, I kind of love it. I, I'm disappointed it's not the big, puffy, original Iceman from the original uh, uh, X-Men comics. Well, to be fair, this wave of X-Men has all been kind of like that mid-90s kind of look, aesthetic. Oh, I know, I know. I, ju I just like the old Michelin Man Iceman. Look, man, you go right ahead and model your Iceman after Michelin Man Iceman. Stay puffed, Marshmallow Iceman. I, I'm considering it. You do that. I want to see it. But uh, no, I think this model's really cool. I think it's enormous. <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> that was an unintended. <laughs> We're going to try to just fit those in as we go through here. But uh, no, it's... <laughs> I, I love it. I think it's, you know, it's a... Uh, it's interesting, right? Like, it's it's pretty simple. He's standing on his ice slide, but it's it's really interesting. Well, first off, I think you need to chill on gushing about him, okay? Like, <laughs> you aren't cooling me off here. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I think uh, I think as far as Iceman's model goes, it has, uh, and I mean, you guys hear me harp on this all the time. I love the dynamic motion in the model. Uh, anytime the design team gets that nice dynamic motion to it, I love it. I, I gush about it all the time. I love any model that doesn't look like it's just sort of like the static superhero pose. And the fact that they were able to incorporate the whole um, ice sliding in on this one was just fantastic. Yeah, completely agree. I, I think they really nailed it. And um, this is one where I saw someone talking about how they were going to paint him up like Frozone. 
from The Incredibles. Yep. I just love that. That, that might have been me, actually. <laughs> I love it. I think that's wonderful. Well, it would go with my Nick Fury list, right? Where I'm just going to replace all the heads with various Nick Furies and it's just different life model decoys. There you go. I love it. I need to see that. That needs to happen. Yeah. I so, don't have enough time or money for this. <laughs> right. Uh, anything else about Iceman Sculpt before we move on to his card? Uh, Honestly, not too much. I, I like the amount of detail in it. I like that it's not just sort of like the, the smooth head uh, Iceman either. I like that they actually uh, got some uh, got some details like that you can see like the frozen hair. Yeah. Uh, which I think is frozen hair on them. Uh, but they, they did it more than just a very smooth model. Uh, so I think it actually, it works very nicely as a result. Yeah, yeah. I love it. I think it looks great. It's very visually interesting. And worth noting, it, that looks like a 50 millimeter base. Sure does. Which I find to be very interesting as we go through the rest of his kit here, which to move on to his card now, we have Iceman with an alter ego of Bobby Drake. We've already explained how that works with Nightcrawler. But top stat line, four physical defense, three energy defense, and three mystic defense. He has a stamina value of five. He is threat value three, size two, and he moves medium. Also worth noting, no changes on his injured side. So Leland, we have the same stat line here. Four, three, three, but one less health than Nightcrawler, one less threat. I think that's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I both like it and hate it. Uh, first off, you know, Hallelujah, three threat. They still exist in this game. Makes me very happy to see that. Uh, the, the defensive stat line with only ten stamina, though. It makes me worried because we've seen something very similar with the Human Torch, and the Human Torch goes down like a sack of wet potatoes. And I'm concerned that Iceman's going to go down the same way. I also like how you're saying Iceman instead of Iceman. Like, <laughs> Hey, hey, you, you, you make in front of my accent. No, is, is, I'm just asking, is it his last name? Is, is, it, is it Bobby Iceman? Sure, why not? Bobby Iceman. There. It's a, it's a new ultra identity, right? Right, yes. It's it's Bobby Iceman. Yes, I like it. There you go. So Iceman. Uh, it's interesting because you're right in that five stamina, that, that one stamina can make such a difference. And this top stat line can be a little bit deceiving when you see, oh, he's got four physical defense. He should be able to stand up to a bit of punishment from a character that's rolling kind of your basic four or five dice attack into him. But in practice, it doesn't always seem to work that way. Yeah, especially with the dominance of certain energy flinging teams out there these days, uh, you're not even always guaranteed to get the four physical defense off on it, right? Exactly, exactly. But I think that maybe there's other things in this kit that are going to make him function a little bit better and inform what he's going to be doing out there. But uh, yeah, this top stat line is, is concerning in that I wonder about his durability. But Leland, let's see if his offense can make up for it. What is his attacks? So he's got an energy attack, freezing blast. It is a beam three, four dice for zero power. It is a gainer attack. So uh, he's going to gain one power for after each attack is resolved. And it's got a wild slow trigger. So uh, you hit that wild and you're going to slow down the, the enemy character and they're going to be moving uh, the short advance tool for the until they get rid of that condition. 
this is very similar to a lot of other Beam 3 attacks we've seen. Like, it's that it's that four dice. I think it's almost identical, like, outside of the, the slow to the Human Torches uh, Beam 3 attack as well. Uh, it's pretty much Pyro's uh, Beam, except, yeah. obviously, Pyro catches him on fire, and uh, Bobby here cools him down. Yeah, and I'm actually looking at Human Torch. It's the same as Human Torches as well, with the Wild Immolate instead of the Wild Slow. Nice. And this is actually where my primary concern comes from with uh, with Iceman. You can pick up a lot of power with it if you if the dice align and you get those multi-target beam attacks. Uh, but otherwise, he's going to be in a position where if his attack doesn't go the way you want it to go, he's going to be very exposed. Yeah, when I read this attack, I'm I'm right there with you. It's like, if I can hit two characters, that's what I want to do. But it's going to be difficult to do at times to hit two or more characters with a range three beam. And then the trigger on the wild slow is not the most reliable trigger on four dice. I think it's only like 20% of the time, something like that, that you're going to hit that. So... You know, it's it's not a guaranteed foregone conclusion, which I find to be fine, but also, you know, it kind of kind of stinks, but he's a three threat. It makes sense on a three threat character. And it's also worth noting that if you are able to hit that slow condition, any characters that have advance abilities, so like Ghost Rider, how he can advance long, that that advance becomes slow, comes short. I love that. I love mm-hmm. that. I, I just I'm just a little concerned with it because I think when you look at the range four beam threes, I'd much prefer pyros or human torches because I feel like incinerate does just a little bit more um, for the rest of the team. Oh, absolutely. Whereas, whereas once everyone kind of gets into the thick of it, I find that slow is one of those conditions where it matters a little bit less the further into the game you're going. I think that's really fair. I also think that depends on the rest of your team composition. I, I do agree that incinerate one for one versus slow is a better condition because it helps your attrition. It helps you control action economy through attrition a little more. However, if your team composition is such that maybe you have some displacement, maybe Bobby is doing a freezing blast and then moving somewhere and, and allowing himself to be in a different position or something like that. Maybe that kind of stuff is what we're going to see here, but we still have more to go over with this card. So let's do that, and then we can talk about yeah. what he's going to do on the tabletop. Sure. So next up, we have another energy attack, Chill. It is uh, range three, seven dice for three power with a wild stagger. And this one, I actually, I like. This one, I think, is right in the sweet spot for, for spender attacks. Um, I love the three power. I love the wild stagger. Seven dice, beautiful. No notes. Yeah, I mean, the only note that I would have is that you're just as likely to kill a damaged character as you are to get that stagger condition on them. But hey, if you leave them on one, staggering them, always good. Yep. The stagger's the consolation prize in this case. Exactly, exactly. So his attacks, I think, are solid overall. But I'll obviously, chill really good. I do wish, I will say, I do wish that chill had the auto slow. Like, okay, cool. I'm going to automatically slow you and I'm going to stagger you potentially. That'd be an interesting, uh, an interesting ability to give it as well. I don't necessarily think it needs it, but uh, you know, I, I wouldn't say no to it if it if it popped yeah. up. Yeah, well, that's just my notes. That's my notes. So, uh, you know, uh, I'm cooler heads prevailed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so now we have his superpowers. The first one is an active ability, 
So it'll be on his turn. You can do this. Freeze and fade. It'll cost you two power. And an action in bold text here. This character immediately makes an attack action followed by a move action. This character counts as size five during this move action. This superpower can be used only once per turn. So it's a little bit of a bonus version of hit and run, which I really like. And I think that if you've set yourself up to beam someone, being able to say, all right, I'm going to freezing blast you, spend two power to freeze and fade, and then get out of there, I think it's pretty solid. I, th I think it's a great ability. I think uh, a hit and run action is is what characters like this do kind of need. Uh, a mean, little part of me wishes it was a reactive ability uh, for him to kind of get out. Like, I wish it was like a parting shot, for instance. Yeah. Uh, just to kind of protect him a little bit more. Because And this one, I feel like to get really get the most out of it, you kind of want to be in that danger close area uh, and then activate him. And then, you know, beam twice and freeze and fade away type thing. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really fair. And I want to go through the rest of these superpowers because I, I really have like an overall thoughts situation here that I keep trying to say, but I'm not, I don't want to say yet. So I like this. I think it's really cool that they made it to where he can count as size five. So it's like he's using his ice slide to like get away, which I think is really fun and thematic, like picturing that. You know what I mean? I think the wording on this one is going to catch a lot of people. There's going to be a lot of people who just kind of assume that he he has like a wall crawler or a flight type thing and forget that it's like, nope, it's just actually size five. And it has a very specific uh, circumstance in which it's used. Yeah. And I think that that makes a lot of sense. Kind of like it. So, yeah, the next superpower we have here is a reactive superpower called Ice Slide. It's going to cost you two power. During this character's activation, when it begins a move action within range two of another allied character of size two or less, it may use this superpower. After this move action is resolved, place the allied character within range two of its current position. This superpower can be used only once per turn. So this is airlift, like on Sam. And the thing that you have to remember about this this is the key point and why I highlighted it when I said it. Iceman gets to complete his movement and then whatever character you're using this on, they just place within range two of where they already were, not within range two of Iceman. Yeah, that's that's definitely a very good distinction to make. I've seen it caught out a couple times with uh, with airlift as well, because um, I'm pretty sure it's the same wording, isn't it? It is exactly the same wording. Yeah. But it's such an underutilized superpower, at least in my experience, that it can catch people off guard if they don't know. Yeah, it's a great example of uh, of read your card type thing, right? Like it's we we always like to make a lot of quick assumptions on how something works, and it's not always the case, right? And it's also worth saying, like if your opponent does this, don't assume they're trying to manipulate the board state or anything. They just might not realize that that's how it works, and Knowing that your opponent, you know, is like, hey, what's that do again? Can I just see that? You know, that's okay. That's an okay thing to say. Yep. It's it's not against the rules to ask. Exactly. So the last superpower here is an innate one. Cold snap. When an enemy character ends a move action 
or attack action within range two of this character, it gains the slow special condition. If the enemy character already has the slow special condition, it suffers one damage instead. This this is interesting and, and a little bit cute, right? Yeah, the fact that it specifically calls out the move action or attack action uh, un, as opposed to, you know, finishing an activation or finishing a movement or something like that, it works very similar to a number of other abilities, but with that little subtle difference that it has to specifically be the move actions. So, you know, something like a place or a throw or a push, that's not going to trigger it. But finishing, say, a charge will trigger it because that is still a move action. Well... Not only would a charge finish it with a move action, but also an attack action that has a placement. So you got to think like, so Beast with his ability to potentially place after his attack. So he places within one after the attack is resolved on Iceman. Iceman. (laughs) Mr. Iceman. Mr. Iceman. Ice to meet you. Ice to meet you. (laughs) Chill. Uh, (laughs) Oh man. So good. Uh, So bad. So good. Um, so if you are, if any of your attacks have special abilities, like you mentioned advances, placements, and stuff like that, you're correct in that superpower things won't trigger it. But if you finish an attack that allows you to advance and you end up within two of Iceman, if you end an attack that places you within two of Iceman, then this is going to trigger. And... I think that that is a really interesting and fun way to keep the players engaged on each other's turns. So, okay, if I'm reading this correctly, would a charge technically ding you twice then? Because you do a move action followed by an attack action? I would think so, but that's one that we might need some clarification on because the way it's worded is this is an always active thing. So when an enemy character ends a move action, you charged, you have ended your move action. Boom, mm-hmm. you gain slow. Then you punch, and you have now ended an attack action, even though they're within the same action cost. That is a really good question, Leland. To me, to me, you're going to be dinged twice for a charge. That, that's my take on it as well, yeah. So it's, it's an interesting little bit of anti-charge tech, if that's the case. Yeah, and I think it's cool. I think that's really cool. If it works that way... It's that's spicy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's Oh, rapid rapid fire within range two and flurries. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Oof. I'm here okay, for Okay, that's th- this is becoming a little bit more interesting. Yeah, but uh, you know, if you're being shot from range four, it's a lot less interesting. <laughs> true, true. But yeah. I mean it, uh, any of like the range two flurries or something like that, right? Right. So Leland, overall thoughts on Iceman. Uh, I'm a little cool on him, to be honest. I, and a lot of that comes down to the fact that I spent a couple months last year really trying to make Human Torch work, and all I'm seeing here is this is just the, the frozen version uh, of Human Torch. Uh, he lacks the ability to kind of stay in the fight. He's a bit of a glass cannon. Oh, he's not even a glass cannon, because I don't think he really has the damage output to really be considered a cannon. He's a skirmisher at best, in my opinion, and I think he's 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 gonna he's gonna go down to a stiff breeze, is how I kind of feel about him. So un- unfortunately, I I wanted to like him a lot more. I'm just I'm not 
I'm not there with him at the moment. Look, I'm going to need you to chill out, okay? <laughs> and recognize what Iceman is. And that is, he is a mobile harasser, is the way I kind of look at his kit. Is this character is an objective play character where I think he's going to have some fun interactions with the X-Men objective game on that big base, being able to provide another avenue for the storm hop that isn't just like beast or Colossus, you know, saying, or, or cable, but you know, the ones that are more commonly played under that and saying, okay, now we have Iceman, beast, storm, um, that's three characters right there that you can have as a core and give you nine threat as a core. And you've always been able to have a nine threat core because of characters like X-23 and stuff. But like, think about how wide you're going to be able to go under Storm X-Men. So that's nine that I just mentioned. X-23 makes 12. Honey Badger, that makes uh, 14. And that's five characters and you're only at 14 threat. Yeah, I mean... He does have some interesting uh, stuff that he brings to the table. I'm just worried about his overall game plan on this one. Like I just, I'm having, I'm struggling to see his his long term impact on the board state uh, and, after after the like first turn or two, right? I think that's fair. I think that's really fair. But I think that there's, I've been opening myself up to some different styles of play lately, and I'm the kind of player where I want to have extremely impactful activations and actions every turn I go. And I like get really wrapped up in the fact that I might lose a character and I don't want to lose a character ever. Right? Like that's just kind of my mindset. But when I've watched a lot of people play Sam lately and stuff like that, like I could see Iceman in a Sam list for days because he's a cheap option and he provides a bit of utility with Ice Slide. He can play some objective game. He can be on a wing and, and kind of just exist over there, not costing you too much. If he goes down, you're okay with it. In a lot of instances, it's not necessarily how I prefer to play, but looking at it in the like move, shoot, shoot, move kind of action economy and... I don't know about you, Leland, but I always am getting caught up in how can I get two attacks off every turn? I, I've really been caught up in that a lot lately. It's I want double tapping constantly. But I don't think that that's necessarily the only way to think. I mean, I know it's not. And so getting Iceman involved in the game in a different way, I think, is where you're going to see him shine. And and I hope that's the case. I just, like I said, I because I see so many similarities to the Human Torch with him, and the Human Torch is just ugh, disappointing, to say the least. Uh, I, I'm having a hard time getting excited uh, over Iceman as a result, because I don't really see enough. Like, I, the Ice Slide, I think, is something that's really kind of interesting, and Cold Snap, I think, is really kind of interesting. But the rest of his stuff, like his attacks don't really do anything for me. The freeze and fade, it's like, okay, it, it, it's a hit and run. We've seen this time and time again. Um, so yeah, it's just, yeah, I'm just, I'm just not quite there yet. And I'm very happy you're excited for him though. Yeah, it's, and it's one of those things where 
my excitement level is that it's it's a, another layer of versatility that you can add to certain teams. And again, where we expect him to be affiliated in Uncanny X-Men, it makes a lot of sense in terms of what you're able to build your squad out to look like. Because you can now have two 50-millimeter bases in Beast and Iceman, as you like to say, uh, on the table at the same time with Storm, and that's only nine threat. And, like, you want to talk about going seven wide? It's easy. You can easy go seven wide there. And that is huge in this game at times on the right crisis. Like, Like, if you're playing Scoundrels and you're able to go seven wide, that is enormously impactful. Oh yeah, and we'll and we'll definitely see how he shakes out on the table and and how sort of like everything coalesces around adding him to the to the X Men team. Exactly, that's for sure. Exactly. Yeah, like I'm I'm not I'm not, I'm not trying to like yuck anyone's yum on this one or anything like that. <laughs> and I definitely want I definitely want to see what other people see with with him and get excited for those same reasons. Yeah, and it's interesting to think about the other three threats in affiliation for X Men, which I think is a much less crowded state than. <laughs> the four threats are and and that oh, makes yeah. it much more interesting because nobody plays gambit don't get me wrong i'm not trying to be on my high horse and say you shouldn't play gambit gambit's fine but he's just not typically played very often same thing with magic within x-men not played very often domino is more often played in x-force than x-men you know so it's just i think it's one of those things where i think he's got a spot there but leland let's talk about where his true home is and and where oh, yeah. he's always going to be. It's, and I said this when I posted the picture of his card online. I said uh, everybody's new favorite web warrior. <laughs> I yep. mean, yep. It, F- look, Firestar win, right? Exactly. Yeah, Firestar win. Let's let's hit it. We set that clock. <laughs> but uh, uh, no. yeah, I think he's really interesting in uh, in web warriors, and I actually think he's really interesting in ASM web warriors. And why is that, Leland? Because we now actually have somebody that really aids with uh, with Pete's uh, leadership uh, and how everything interacts with slow, right? Because like for one power, you can put a slow on a on a uh, enemy character, but the other part of that leadership is if they already have slow, you're going to place them range one. You're basically going to bump in the night them. Yeah, and you know, even that level of displacement is still displacement, and it can still really disrupt game plans. It really can, and I think it's really interesting. It's one of those things where I think you still have to work a little bit on Pete's affiliation, the friendly neighborhood spider team, which, honestly, AMG, give the people what they want and make Iceman Web Warrior affiliated. He was a part of the Spider Friends. I mean, come on. Right? Yeah, no, I I think it's uh I I think it makes some sense if you're going uh, going back that far. Like I just say it. I mean, yeah, it's what the people want. But anyways, I think it's really interesting there. I think just in a general sense, whether it's under Amazing Spider-Man's leadership or Miles's leadership, being able to have a character that now is somewhat more reliably getting that slow condition out there so that when you inevitably pop all webbed up, you don't have to worry about saying, all right, well, I want to hit as many characters as I can. Well, 
three of these characters already have slow on them because they were messing around with Iceman. And now I can hit these two characters over here and everyone's going to get the benefit of it. Yeah, and he really adds that mental load. Like if you have an ability to put slow onto that many characters that easily, it's going to become a much harder gauge to find out when your opponent is going to be playing that all webbed up turn because it's more of a possibility more often. Exactly, exactly. And within the friendly neighborhood spider team ASM leadership, I think it's interesting to play Iceman, like I said, that move, spend a power, put the slow on somebody, maybe you hit your beam, maybe you've got enough power to do your uh, freeze and fade, whatever it is, but getting out of there, like moving, get get the slow on somebody, get out of there, and play that objective game, I think is going to be really where he goes. And he really fits in with their play style, at least that I have tried to play, and that is attacking is a very limited thing you do with the Web Warriors in general. It's not the end-all be Obviously, roll your dice, play your game however you want. But you can play a game with the Web Warriors where you deny your opponent the ability to interact with you as much as possible by not attacking, not giving them power, harassing them, displacing them, that kind of stuff with web lines and stuff like that. And Iceman adds a layer to that because a slow move can at times function much like a stagger. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like you, you hit it at the right time. It can definitely do that for you. So I think there's something interesting there and is there anywhere else that you think that he should play? Because again, his home is Web Warriors. Like, he's a Web Warrior. Like, let's just be honest. I think Web Warriors is definitely where he's going to get a lot of uh, a lot of mileage out of it. Uh, any team where they can power him up to make sure he can be freezing and fading more often or ice sliding more often is definitely going to be useful for him. Uh, I think he might be kind of interested in A Force as an extra way of getting some of your characters around. Uh, I I think any team where you know maybe he becomes a little bit more defensive is going to be really nice for him as well to keep him on the table a bit longer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, honestly, those, those just kind of feel like, you know, play around with them. Maybe, maybe he's good here. Maybe he's not. None of them really feel like, Oh, you know, this is, this is the secret sauce to unlock him. I think that's fair. I, I think he's one of those characters that if you like Iceman as a character, you're going to be fine with him on the table in whatever capacity you put him in, especially where he's affiliated in X-Men. I think you're going to be really happy there. I think that Web Warrior Splash is interesting. And other than that, like you said, like anywhere where he can get around, like I think Cyclops X-Men is fun because you're able to potentially get some power on him early to then ice slide your friends forward a little bit, stuff like that. You know, I think that stuff's kind of cute. Uh, Wakanda is an interesting one again because any anyone that has a superpower that's easily accessible through Spirit of Wakanda intrigues me. So yeah, I mean, Spiritful Conda just turns on so many game plans, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so I think that's interesting. I don't know if it's good, but I think it's interesting. And uh, with that, Leland, though, we've got a few show questions from the Discord. Uh, which, if you want access to this Discord, uh, just check out Patreon.com. It's a, a dollar a month to come and hang out with us and and be in, a part of the best community that exists on the internet, in my humble opinion. So, uh, so yeah, we got a couple of discords here. And uh, half as Ninja says, why won't AMG just give me what I want and make Iceman a web warrior for real? I mean, I feel like I made the case pretty good here. Oh, yep, yep. I mean, going any case that can be made using uh, cartoons from her childhood is always the, the right way, right? Exactly. 
Uh, Leland Jakara says, which leader does he work better with and why is it ASM? And I, yeah, I, I think, well, I don't necessarily think he works better with ASM, but I think he helps unlock ASM's leadership a little bit more. Yeah. I, I think he actually prefers Miles' leadership a little bit more. Yeah. And that's what Brian Freddy says. He, uh, which leader does he work better with and why is it Miles? And we yeah. kind of made the case for ASM without really making the case for Miles. But I want to say with Miles, defensive reroll, always good, right? He doesn't have any innate like reroll abilities on his card. So he won't really get a benefit out of like holding an objective and rerolling attack dice, but defensive reroll good. And yep, when you're playing under miles, you can go wider and wider tends to be better on the web warriors. So yeah. Spider-Man, Spider-Man, not, not Spider-Man, Spider-Man. <laughs> why i feel like this is going to come up quite a bit oh it is it is iceman yeah chill out over there why does he feel like i need him in my doc ock sinister scientist list he doesn't say who he's talking about but i'm gonna assume he's talking about nightcrawler i don't know he doesn't say which one do either of these guys yeah, make sense for you there to be honest, no, not not really. I, th I think we need some more context on this one. Yeah, need a little con I mean, I think they both could play okay there. I think Nightcrawler might be kind of cute there, being able to to take a little damage, get an extra power and all that stuff, so he can just fuel his stuff. But uh, other than that, well, it's I'm not, not even sure. taking a damage. It's it's when you're targeted by an attack. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. You you get the power regardless of damage dealt, as long as you're not dazed. Yeah, exactly. So. Beautiful. Love it. So Dennis says, why doesn't AMG make X-Men good in X-Men? I, I think that we we have that right here. I think both of these characters are legit good in X-Men. Also, like a lot of X-Men characters are just genuinely good. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I don't know of a single X-Men character that doesn't actually care for either of the X-Men leaderships. Yeah. I mean, and, I think. I mean, a character like Gambit is maybe a little weak under X-Men. Domino maybe a little weak under X-Men. But in a general sense, I think that these are two shining examples of characters that fit very well within that affiliation. Yep, I'm right there with you. Schultze, everybody's favorite bunny person, says, why doesn't Sean Astin have a bigger career? And um, Sean Astin had a huge career, and then like reached the pinnacle of said career at Return of the King where he won an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor, I think that that capped off a pretty incredible career for him. Yeah, no, I, I mean, he's uh, he's been in some pretty big uh, pretty big films as well, right? I mean, he's been in The Goonies, he was in Rudy's. Um, I mean, for anyone who remembers it, Encino Man was always Encino good fun. Encino Man, <laughs> yep. And, and that's the thing, he's had a great career. And he's in the twilight, I guess, of his career, you could argue. I mean, he, he's not that old. But he's old enough to where, and probably made enough to where he doesn't have to do anything. Schultze, why are you trolling? Uh, <laughs> Rose Lad says, why is Iceman? That's a good question. I don't know. Who is Iceman? Brad says. What is Iceman? What is Iceman? Yeah. <laughs> Brad says, we already got our three threat for the year. So why are you disappointed we didn't get five threat Iceman with the wrestling title belt? Um. To be fair, and this is kind of rolls into to some other questions here, Iceman as a character in the comics 
is considered an omega level threat to the point where he could, if he lost it enough, freeze the entire world. He could just be like, screw it. Whole world, new Ice Age. Have fun. He's that powerful. So oh, yeah, I, I, I remember an arc way back where uh, he had a giant hole in his chest and in his ice form. And he was afraid of turning back uh, to his regular form because he thought it was just going to kill him. And uh, I think it was Emma Frost who finally convinced him to do it. And like he turns back, he's perfectly fine. But it just goes to show just how durable he actually is, right? Yeah. Like damage sustained in his ice form doesn't necessarily translate over to his uh, his non-ice form. Yeah. And, and I'm right there with you. And so it's one of those things where I think this is the perfect character that while they captured a version of him, a snapshot of, of his character here, I think that this is a character that is rife for a second edition at some point down the line that is that more powerful version. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, Mitchell says, why didn't we get Frosty Iceman at three threat? Like, just like what you wanted. I know, right? Yeah. And uh, and our Iceman, Storm, and Nightcrawler now the best core for X Men. I don't think that would be the best core. I-, I think they're a good core. I think that's a fine ten threat to start with. But I think, like we said earlier, X Men have so much versatility that it's hard to say what is going to be best in a given situation. Yeah, I, I think you can you can really build a lot of different teams with X Men right now, and this is just going to be one of those. Yep. And then Brad's next question, I'm going to skip because. Come on, Brad. <laughs> you see that question. I see that question. It has to do with grunts and why doesn't Iceman have grunts? Just stop. Just stop. <laughs> Gian Although says. I, w- I think it'd be cool to have like little grunts that are just snowmen, right? I mean, look, if you want to have a board with snowmen on it, you go right ahead. But that's just, no. Just stop it. Just stop it. Gian says, what leaderships are you most excited to run Nightcrawler and Iceman under? I think we covered that pretty well. When we were talking about those characters individually. Now then, do you want more auto condition abilities like the cold snap aura or the haha auto stun that don't rely on specific facing on dice rolls? I want to. I want you to answer this one first, Leland. Uh, I want those abilities to be rare. I I think removing the dice aspect from a dice game too often uh, is not good for the game. So when those abilities come up, I want them to feel appropriately rare and appropriately powerful. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. I think that auto doing anything is opening the door for negative play experiences. And that is one of those things where in a competitive environment, I, I think, you know, it's a more interesting question, but for something like this, that I think that these things need to absolutely have some triggers and more often than not, I think, haha should have an, if damage was dealt trigger personally, like cool. Don't make it have a die face, but make damage have to go through in order to stun someone. Something, you know what I mean? Like, because stun being a limiter to, what is essentially the catch-up mechanic in this game, the way to make you feel like you're never out of it, stun is a very powerful condition. And so making that happen just automatically is difficult. And it is something that opens the door for potential bad things, I think. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I, and I think that's, yeah, I think you hit the nail exactly on the head there. Anytime that you can get something off without any sort of resources put into it outside of what you're normally doing anyway, uh, it becomes a little problematic. I mean, look, look how, pro like, look how much, uh, angst has been created by, uh, Pyro's firewall ability, right? And the fact that he can just spread incinerate through, uh, through a host of characters with just, just by virtue of attacking a character that's incinerated. It is an extremely powerful ability, and I think it needs to be limited as such. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I, I would like to also say that a thing like Skull, Cold Snap as an aura, I think that that is interesting. I think it's more interesting when it's done something like how Honey Badger is, where if she's within range one of another character, they're incinerated functionally. They roll one less. They're, they're not actually the incinerate condition, but they roll one less defense die. I think stuff like that is really interesting and it feels appropriate versus just saying, okay, now you just have this condition. However, I like the way Iceman's cold snap aura is implemented. I don't necessarily want to see more of that unless it makes thematic sense, but I do think that this is one where, where I'm, I'm cool with this. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, I mean, Ice Nance Cold Snap thing, it's that one's a risk reward thing because the other person has to make a an active choice to be within that range finishing a move action or doing an attack or anything like that, right? Exactly. So it's it's not something that's just going to happen. That person has to decide to make that happen. Uh which I think I'm perfectly fine with because that is the cost for it right there, right? You you are Putting yourself within range two, you know you're going to get slowed or you know you're going to take a point of damage if you're already slowed. Uh, so you you kind of live with that decision. Yeah. Whereas with like with the auto application of an of stun after an attack, it's just like, well, there's there's no risk reward to it. There's no reason not to make that attack because you know you're going to stun them. You know, there's not the potential of, well, I'm not going to stun you because I didn't get X trigger or whatever. So it's just it's a little bit. You you have to put less mental thought into it. Yeah, absolutely. Last question here. Gian also says, what team of four, including Nightcrawler, would you like to use Mass Transit with? And admittedly, anyone that I can try to do it as early as possible and attack my opponent's deployment line. Like, that's it. <laughs> Those are the characters so, I want to do it with. So so CGR, right? I mean, he doesn't need it. <laughs> but this way, he doesn't have to spend the power on it. Yeah, there you go. So, I mean, at the end of the day, that is the concern I have with that card is the ability to do that. I think costing it three power makes it difficult, but not unattainable. Yeah, it's you definitely have to to get it early in game. You definitely have to set it up. So there is some there is some opportunity cost to it, which I'm OK with. Uh, I'm still a little concerned with how the rest of the teams are going to be able to kind of like just springboard off it. I think that that can possibly create some bad situations but we'll see how it all shakes out yeah and uh low key low key not loki um wakanda like yep just just do it when you've got nightcrawler king t mbaku and maybe killmonger all right there next to each other and profit yep <laughs> you know off I mean? the back of a spirit of wakanda yeah i don't know if you could have enough threat value to do that but like that would be like what is that five four four and four so so what does that math equal out to is that's nine, nine four, 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 13 that's... 17 plus you're gonna have to have a koye so to, 19 so 19 threat it's yeah. not un, not undoable nope so yeah anyways leland where can people find you 
Uh, they can find me anywhere they see the name Aegis Brand Studios. Uh, YouTube is my primary haunt, putting out battle reports every single week for Marvel Crisis Protocol. And then, of course, on the House Party Protocol Discord, where I constantly haunt the place. Yes, you, you brighten up the day. Is more like it. <laughs> that, that, that's a polite way of saying what I do on the channel. <laughs> <laughs> nah, man, it's great having you around. You've been a good friend through all this as we've gotten to know one another. And everything. And uh, yeah, Suits, check out the House Party Protocol Patreon for access to the Discord for as little as a dollar a month, and uh, which equals out to 12 bucks a year. You can come and support the podcast and uh, support what we do and all the giveaways and all that fun stuff. And, and it's one of those things where I probably don't say this enough. I feel like I maybe say it a lot, but I also don't say it enough. And that is the level of gratitude I have for not only the people that listen to this podcast, but for the people that support me on Patreon and all of that stuff, like it is very humbling. And it's one of the things that's like, I want to make sure I provide good quality content for everyone that gives me their time because at the end of the day, it's time, man. It's the one thing you never get back. And the fact that you guys are here listening, it really means the world to me. And, uh, you know, again, the Patreon, it means the world to me that y'all are out there supporting the show in that way. It's really insane. It's a fantastic community that you have. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate that. It's it's really wonderful. And, you know, it, it's more about the community than it is me. You know what I mean? Like, shout out to everyone over there that makes that community so great. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Anyways, uh, ch check out the giveaway. It's on our Facebook page. Uh, all the information over there. Make sure you comment on the pinned post on the Facebook page. And then, Leland, we got to come up with a secret code word for... Uh, for this episode, what do you think we should go with? Chill. <laughs> what was that? Chill. Chill. <laughs> or uh, ice to meet you. Ice to meet you. Yeah, there you go. I like that. Or or any any cold related pun. Any cold related pun sounds good. Yes. Any cold related pun is what we're gonna go with for our secret code word. So send me anything on facebook or over on discord all of that stuff and uh, i will uh count that for your special code word entries and uh yeah i think that's all i need to say right now like you're and gonna get so many schwarzenegger gifts i can't wait i can't wait that's that's why i'm here you know what i mean <laughs> ice to meet you with that party on leland party on will and power down suits